0: Greetings in Christ's name to each one here this morning. I want to welcome each one for, uh, for our service, this part of the service, and um, just may it be a, a blessing to each one as we listen to the Holy Spirit as he continues to work this morning. Our last song there, the uh, chorus, Trust and Obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And, you know, that, that sounds so simple. Just trust God and obey. But I don't know. If it's for you like it is for me, it's, it's challenging just to um, simply accept, accept that simplicity in my life, those, that simple fact. This morning, I'd like to look at uh, the story or part of the story of a man who um, needed to learn to trust and obey, needed to learn to to, um, do it in God's way and not his own way. I've entitled the message A Slave, a Prince, a Shepherd. And if you're thinking Moses, that's um, the man I would like to look at this morning, uh, you can turn to the book of Exodus, and we won't be looking nearly at the entirety of his life, but um, just a, a small portion this morning, <coughs> and um, I don't want to make um, a lot of promises here this morning, but. Um, I would like to probably at least have at least one more message, and we'll see where it goes from there. Um, I'll just uh, mention that I I just recently had began reading in the book of Exodus, and um, done some reading and rereading here in some of the first chapters, and I have not, um, in in this reading of the book of Exodus, have not got um, to the end yet, and so I don't know. Uh, I feel like I'm kind of starting off without much of a charted course. But I'd like to just get right into the the first chapter here. I'd like to, to cover the first two chapters this morning. So the first chapter of Exodus, I'd like to begin with the first seven verses. It says, Now these are the names of the children of Israel which came into Egypt. Every man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. And all the souls that came out of the loins of Jacob were seventy souls. For Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brethren, and all that generation. And the children of Israel were fruitful, and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty. And the land was filled with them. So I kind of look at these first seven verses here as a transition from Genesis to Exodus. I believe Moses, um, from from what is um, is considered, that he was the writer of both the books Genesis and Exodus, and um, he's not drawing the attention immediately to his life as. Uh, we'll begin to see here in, in chapter 2 where we begin seeing um, with the birth of, of, of Moses. But he's kind of finishing out um, or a summary maybe of uh, Jacob's life. Jacob's coming down into Egypt and his family that he brought down with him and uh, mentions uh, the name Joseph there who, who came first of the family of of Jacob. He was the first one to come down to Egypt. And I think we know that story fairly well. But he says in verse 7, in verse 7, he's bringing out a little bit of a promise or one of the promises to the patriarchs that's beginning to be filled here, fulfilled here. It says the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, and multiplied, and waxed exceeding mighty, and the land was filled with them. And God had promised to Abraham, and to Isaac, and to Jacob, I believe it was all three of them, that they would become a great nation. Took a while for that to happen. Abraham had one son of the promise, Isaac had one son of the promise and then Jacob had his twelve sons who were all sons of the promise. And from there the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob, began to grow. Just might mention too that Israel had come down to Egypt under Jacob. They had come as it was prophesied to Abraham in Genesis 15, 13. I don't have those verse here exactly but God talked to Abraham about his, his descendants going down into another country and they would be there 400 years and would be afflicted for 400 years. And today we're beginning to see here in Exodus that affliction that happened to his people. All right, I'd like to continue reading here, at verse 8, I'd like to finish uh, the, the chapter there, Exodus eight. Now there arose a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of, of the children of Israel are more And mightier than we, come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also unto our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters, to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Python and Rehamses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were grieved because of the children of Israel. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter, with hard bondage, in mortar and in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. And the king of Egypt spake to the Hebrew midwives, of which the name of the one was Shiphrah, and the name of the other Pua. And he said, When ye do the office of a midwife to the Hebrew women, and see them upon the stools, if it be a son, then ye shall kill him, but if it be a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God, and did not as the king of Egypt commanded them. Because the midwives feared God, that He made them houses. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born, ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive." So this um, section here, we have Egypt and a taskmaster. So the Israelites had come down into Egypt and they were becoming, uh, they were multiplying, they were becoming many and a strong people, exceeding mighty it says. And Pharaoh began to fear the Israelites. Now this was not the same Pharaoh of Joseph's time, It mentions here that, can't lay my eyes on, here it is, verse 8, that he was a new Pharaoh which knew not Joseph. So I don't know how much time this was after Joseph was in leadership in Israel, but um, yeah, someone who didn't see the good that Joseph had done for their people. So out of this fear that the Israelites might rise up against the Egyptians or might go to war against them with another, um, another people, Pharaoh said, let us deal wisely with the Israelites. And I saw in another translation or so, it used the word shrewdly. Let's deal shrewdly with them. Let's, let's, let's bring them under bondage to, to limit them so that they can't become, um, they, they can't be so strong and have, be more powerful than we are. And we see just that happening, that Israel is coming under bondage to a cruel taskmaster. The words afflict, and burden, rigor, bitter, hard bondage, service, uh, different words that um, show what they were experiencing, that it wasn't just a, a working another job for someone as we know, um, yeah, as we know here, but rather they were in bondage and uh, much more than what we can imagine here, I believe. And things didn't work out as Pharaoh expected. In verse 12, we see that the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And I just had to compare that a little bit to how, what happens to the church when faced with persecution." We know that the church um, often grows through persecution. And I just had to think of Jesus' words in Matthew 16, where he said, "'I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it.'" And maybe we could think of this a little bit as um, Israel a type of the church here, and that though Pharaoh was trying to bring them to, to break them, um, yet they were not going to um, to be stamped out or taught, brought totally under his control. So as Pharaoh continues to try to figure out a way to, um, to limit the growth, Of the Israelites. In the latter part of the chapter there, we read about how he talked to the Hebrew midwives and told them to basically kill the little boys that are born. He was using death to the infants to try to subdue Israel. And I look at the Hebrew midwives as they were obviously working against Pharaoh and maybe almost we could say an enemy of the taskmaster. I I don't know exactly what to make of their report to Pharaoh as to why they did not do what he told them to do. It looks like maybe they were using some dishonesty here uh, and and were rewarded for it, Uh, but be that as it may, um, they did fear God and they were working for God. The bondage of sin is miserable and it's strenuous. Israel was faced with bondage. And it was cruel to them. And that's what happens with sin on an individual basis as we feel the attacks of the devil um, to bring us under bondage. And we've been there. We understand what that is, the bondage to Satan. 1 Peter 5.8 says that the devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour." We know that Satan will take the mind, the body, and the soul and will ravage it if, if he is given room to do that. He will make us slaves. I believe that every person either has found or will find themselves under at least a degree of the bondage of Satan and, and we need to be delivered From that bondage. I had to think too of these Hebrew midwives, who can we liken to the Hebrew midwives? And I think it can be anyone who has been freed from bondage and who will stand in the gap between those in sin and and working to bring them to Christ. I'd like to move on to chapter two, where we begin looking at Moses. We have not read about Moses at this point in chapter one here. Chapter two, the first ten verses, and. Um, We're looking, Moses was one who was found under, he was born into the bondage of Egypt. And we're going to see the deliverance of one in this passage here. Chapter 2, the first 10 verses. And there went a man of the house of Levi and took to wife a daughter of Levi. And the woman conceived and bare a son. And when she saw him that he was a goodly child, she hid him three months. And when she could not longer hide him, she took for him an ark of bulrushes, and daubed it with slime and with pitch, and put the child therein, and she laid it in the flags by the river's brink. And his sister stood afar off, to wit, what would be done to him? And the daughter of Pharaoh came down to wash herself at the river, and her maidens walked along by the river's side. And when she saw the ark among the flags, she sent her maid to fetch it. And when she had opened it, she saw the child. And behold, the babe wept. And she had compassion on him, and said, This is one of the Hebrews' children. Then said his sister to Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and call to thee a nurse of the Hebrew women, that she may nurse the child for thee? And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Go. And the maid went and called the child's mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said unto her, Take this child away and nurse it for me, and I will give thee thy wages. And the woman took the child and nursed it. And the child grew, and she brought him unto Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. And she called his name Moses, and she said, Because I drew him out of the water. Quite a a tremendous story here of, of Moses. So, in the end of chapter 22, Pharaoh had said, or chapter, I'm sorry, chapter 1, in verse 22, Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born, ye shall cast into the river. Every daughter ye shall save alive. And in this setting, and in this time, there is a man and a woman, and they had a son whose name was Moses. Actually, his name wasn't Moses at the time. I'll get to that a little later here. Now, we have a, a storybook at home, and um, a couple of years ago, we had... A little baby boy. Now, going back to this storybook about Moses, there was, there's a phrase in there that says something about, never was a baby more loved than baby Moses. And my children did not agree with that. Um, they thought that baby Curtis was the most loved baby. And I think all of you who have children here, can relate to those feelings. Um, Just like, doesn't mention their names here, but Amram and Jochebed, they had a son of their own. And they loved him dearly. I believe his brother Aaron was older than him, his sister Miriam. They loved him dearly. And so they hid him. They were afraid of the king's command to destroy the baby boys. They loved him. He was a a beautiful child. It calls him there a goodly child. And as all the other baby boys in his time there among the Israelites, his life was in danger. After he was too old to be hid there in the house, they made an ark of bulrushes. They daubed it with slime, and that word slime there—it's um, kind of interesting there. I, it's the same word that was used when they built the Tower of Babel, that they used slime for mortar. Now, that was in a different area. I think there were some slime pits there or something. I didn't look into that um, this time, really. So, was it the same stuff? that was used there, I don't know. But also just um, thinking too how the Israelites were employed in mortar and in brick. Was it some of the same um, substance there that sealed his little ark? I'm not sure. But I don't think that's extremely important to the message here this morning. Moses was hidden, he was placed in the river. He was placed where the king of Egypt had commanded him to be placed, in the river. But it was in safety in that ark. We have in verses 5 through 10, his deliverance, how Pharaoh's daughter rescues and then adopts him as her own, and in time took him to be with her, I assume in the palace. Verse 6 mentions that Moses wept when um, the princess opened the basket and saw him there. He wept. And just leave that thought there for the moment here. Um, She took him uh, in time to be with her, to live with him. And she named him Moses. It says because... I drew him out of the water. And I imagine that she told Moses why she gave him the name that she did. Moses' name was a continual reminder to him that he had been saved from death. He had been saved from the destruction of the other boys of Israel that were his age, or would have been his age. This morning, do you and I have a name? That continually reminds us of our salvation. You know, back in, in the times of the Bible, uh, the Old Testament for sure, there was a lot of significance to names. Names were chosen because of meaning. And I don't know, maybe <laughs> as parents here, maybe some of you, um, maybe that was pretty important in naming your children. Uh, for us, we, we looked at that and may have affected some, I'm not sure. But um, we didn't figure out a meaning of a name and get a name for it then. But do you claim a name that reminds you of your salvation? I trust that we do. The name of Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, that we are the redeemed, that we are bought by his blood. (coughs) There's one little question here. I've had to wonder how the princess got it past her father that she rescued a Hebrew boy from the Nile. I don't know. Maybe you have some thoughts on that. But um, somehow, um, he let her keep him. Moses was born into bondage. Now, he was an innocent baby. He was like any other baby. But he was born into the bondage of the Israelites. That's a comparison for each one of us. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Everyone has been born with a sin nature and born in that bondage. In our circles, I believe that we have um, had parents who have taken measures to protect us from evil even as Moses' parents took measures to protect him in that time. But we still have a need to be delivered, each one of us, varying extents. Each one of us has a different story. But we come to a point in life, as young people, and maybe as older as well, where we recognize that we need a deliverer. And our deliverer is Jesus. Maybe we have found ourselves to be enslaved by a particular sin. And Luke 4, verse 18, Jesus was speaking. says, He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, Christ came to bring freedom from bondage, from sin, from the lies that we may be believing about ourselves, to bring us deliverance from hearts that are going after sinful pleasures, deliverance from anger and bitterness and hatred and pride, whatever the sin may be. Christ came to bring freedom all mankind. The other evening, a group of us that went out to um, Pure Life Ministries for Brother Duane's graduation, and maybe some of you um, listened to the live stream as well, but it was just a blessing to hear of lives being delivered, being freed from bondage. And that's for anyone, for everyone to experience who will completely surrender everything to God. It's there for us. And to sorrow over their bondage. Just thought of, um, I mentioned there about Moses. He wept, okay, now Moses didn't realize what was going on, but as a baby that ark was opened He was being delivered from bondage. Brothers and sisters, do we have a grief over the bondage that Satan would hold us captive in? The next several verses here, 11 through 14, we have Moses coming out of the palace. I'll just kind of title this section, Out of the Palace. And it came to pass in those days, when Moses was grown, that he went out unto his brethren and looked on their burdens. And he spied an Egyptian smiting an Hebrew, one of his brethren. And he looked this way and that way. And when he saw that there was no man, he slew the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And when he went out the second day, behold, two men of the Hebrews strove together. And he said to them that did the wrong, Wherefore smitest thou thy fellow? And he said, Who made thee a prince and a judge over us? Intendest thou to kill me, as thou killest the Egyptian? And Moses feared and said, Surely this thing is known. So Moses left the palace here. Um, I would assume just I don 't know how far his his brethren the Israelites were, but went out to to check on them um, to see how they were doing. Look at their burdens. And as the story goes here, he took things into his own hands. He saw unfair treatment of the Egyptians to the Israelites, and he did what seemed right to him. He slew the Egyptian that was being hard, and cruel. Moses encountered the wrath of Pharaoh. Pharaoh was out to kill him, and he fled. And I think Moses needed to learn a few lessons about life. Remember that song we sang, Trust and Obey? seems like maybe he was doing things in his own strength at this time. But, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I like the shelter of the known. Kind of the shelter of staying in the groove. And, and Moses, I'm sure he enjoyed life in the palace. It was a life of ease, But what will we ever do for the Lord if we simply stay in our palace, if we simply stay in our comfort zone? What will we ever get done for the Lord? What if we never are willing to step out and see how our brethren are doing? Step out and offer a word of encouragement or to walk alongside another a challenge, wrong that's being done. Or to step out and really listen to someone's heart. Or to stand up and share the word of the Lord. Or to sit down and share with those in prison. Moses could have stayed in the palace as royalty and had that life of ease. But rather, he chose freedom from Egypt to be one of the free people of God. And I think, as I mentioned, I think killing that Egyptian was like taking things into our own hands. But if we're going to effectively be in the work of the Lord, we need to be under the direction of God. Now, just continuing with the last verses of chapter 2 here, beginning in verse 15. Now, when Pharaoh heard this thing, heard about Moses killing the Egyptian, he sought to slay Moses. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian, and he sat down by a well. Now, the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. And the shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to rule their father, he said, How is it that ye are come so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds, and also drew water enough for us, and watered the flock. And he said unto his daughters, And where is he? Why is it that ye have left the man? Call him, that he may eat bread. And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. (coughs) And she bare him a son, and he called his name Gershom. For he said, I have been a stranger in a strange land. And it came to pass, in process of time, that the king of Egypt died, and the children of Israel sighed by reason of the bondage. And they cried, and their cry came up unto God by reason of the bondage. And God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel, and God had respect unto them. And to this last section here, I've given a title, backside of the desert and you won't find that phrase until um, chapter 3 verse 1 which we're not planning to get into there this morning but uh, well I will read that it says now Moses kept the flock of Jethro his father-in-law the priest of Midian and he led the flock to the backside of the desert and came to the mountain of God even to Horeb so we have Moses a prince becoming a servant and then a shepherd. In verse 17, as a servant, there, he helps the daughters of Ruel, the prince of Midian, um, help them water their sheep when they were um, being chased away by, by um, others that were coming to the well, the shepherds. Then he married. Uh, Ruel's daughter, Zipporah. And as we read in chapter 3, uh, he began to be a shepherd for, um, says his father in law. And I'm not sure exactly, um, it appears that Ruel is his father in law. I'm not sure if it's just a different name here for him um, or how that is exactly. Um, But he took Jethro's flock to the backside of the desert. Now, I don't know, is this where he was accustomed to leading the flock? Um, I would imagine, likely, um, in one source, it would have said that there there, um, would have been some vegetation where he was. But one thing I think Moses experienced in the backside of the desert was solitude and silence. A desert isn't a place where you would find a lot of people, most likely. He probably had no other human being to talk to around him, but he had time to think. Probably thought about his life in Egypt He probably thought about his life of ease, his brethren, the Hebrews. He had time to pray. He had time to seek God. And Moses' life is far from finished at this point here. Uh, The end of chapter 2 here kind of leads into chapter 3, looking at the Hebrews sighing by reason of the bondage that they were under. God had a plan for Moses' life. And I don't know if Moses understood that plan in his early life. If he understood that God was going to raise him up to be a deliverer. But he did begin on his way to fulfill that plan going out to the Hebrews and trying to right some wrongs. But his way, obviously, was not the way that God had for him in delivering his people. Moses' journey to fulfilling God's plan for him and his purpose included freedom from bondage. It included service. And it also included solitude. And I firmly believe that God has a plan for everyone. No matter who you are. No matter how young you are. No matter how old you are. God has a plan for each one. He wants to use each one. And I believe that it also includes those three elements that Moses experienced. Freedom from bondage. Coming under the lordship of Jesus Christ and allowing Jesus to be your savior and your lord. And I believe if we want to find that purpose, it also includes service. That we are ready to be used of God, whatever he has for us. And God doesn't generally take people uh, directly from brokenness to greatness. But he takes us one step at a time through doing what is at hand for us, what he gives us to do. And I also believe that solitude is an important element to finding God's plan for our lives. And um, two weeks ago, I think it was, I preached a message Uh, on devotional life, and I trust that we are endeavoring to faithfully be alone with God. Moses has been remembered through all of time as a great leader, a man of God. In fact, um, in a class just uh, this past week, I think it was, Uh, brought out that there is a statue of Moses made out of marble, and I think it is in Italy. I'm not sure if it's said in that class or not. He's remembered as a great leader. But you know, if Moses had just continued on his path of doing what it took to free his brethren from their burdens, he probably wouldn't have been known as the leader that we know him today. This morning, I trust that we are not here looking to be great leaders as Moses, but simply that we are all committed to finding and to knowing the plan that God has for us and just being willing to take those steps even if it's fleeing to the backside of the desert. Um, Didn't seem like anything great to be out there herding sheep, but he was being a servant to his his father-in-law there. And may we each one be, be faithful in the little things that God calls us to. Let's kneel for prayer.